Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read for us from verses 1 to 13. Or 1 to 12, sorry. Seeing the crowd, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather around your word. And Lord, we pray now that by your spirit, you would take what your word says and you would make it a reality in our lives. That Lord, we would not just be hearers of your word, but also doers. And that Lord, the beatitudes that we will be looking at over the next week, I pray that it would define us as individuals and also as a church. That we would be, we would become what these beatitudes speak about. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, um, I mentioned last week that we were going to begin a series on the Beatitudes. And uh, I guess over the next month or two months, I guess it will be two months that, because there's about eight that we'll be looking at. And, uh, and so, and then Lord willing, we'll get back into the Gospel of Mark after that. Um, but right now we're going to focus on the Beatitudes. And I had mentioned last week how I just feel that the Church of Jesus Christ needs more than ever uh, now focus our attention on what it means to be uh, people of conviction, people of character, people of virtue, people who know how to suffer well. And I think the Beatitudes is a great place to start. Now, but before I, we look at the first Beatitude this morning, um, I need to make some introductory comments in regards to the Beatitudes and really the whole section of the Sermon on the Mount. So the, the first thing we need to see is that the Beatitudes fit into the wider context of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, in a sense, Jesus' teaching on how, on how a disciple ought to be and how he ought to live in the kingdom of God. And the Beatitudes are the beginning of the sermon. Um, and you can, you can really break up the, the Sermon on the Mount um, into several different parts, but, but for simplicity, you can actually break it up into two parts. You have the the general and the specific. So in verses 3 to 16, um, really you have the, the general statements related to the Christian life. Then the rest of the sermon focuses on the specifics. Specific situations in which the Christian is called to conduct himself as a citizen of Christ's kingdom. Now the reason I say this is because we need to see that the Beatitudes are general statements, not specific statements. The, the Beatitudes capture the disposition of a Christian's heart, a Christian's character. But this doesn't mean that there are 
aren't ever exceptions to the rule. So, so for example, when, um, when Jesus says in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, we can say as Christians, we should in general be peacemakers, right? But that doesn't mean that in every circumstance, we should always as Christians be peaceful. There are certain circumstances where, where peace might not be the thing we ought to strive for because of compromise in another area. For example, the area regarding truth. So, so in general, we should strive for peace. In fact, as Christians, above anyone in society, I believe that we should be the people who seek peace with everyone as much as we possibly can, in general, though there may be exceptions. Now, the second thing we need to see about this section is also the interconnection of the Beatitudes. Um, the order of the Beatitudes isn't random or accidental. Jesus gives the order he gives for a reason. None of the Beatitudes stand alone. They build on one another. Meaning, it is impossible for someone to claim that they have one area of the Beatitudes and not any of the others. They build on each other. So take, for example, the first four Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are born. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The, the logic is this, that, that it's only the poor in spirit who mourn. And it's only the poor in spirit who mourn that are also meek. And it's only the poor in spirit who mourn and who are meek that hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will not hunger and thirst for righteousness if you are not poor in spirit. You will not be meek if you are not poor in spirit. So they build on each other. They are interconnected. Thirdly, we need to see in regards to the Beatitudes is that the Beatitudes aren't a manual for how to become a Christian. They are a manual for the Christian. Or to put it another way, living by the Beatitudes will not save you. But if you're saved, you're called to live by the Beatitudes. See, the, the Beatitudes demonstrate how a born-again, spirit-empowered Christian ought to live, not how you become a born-again, spirit-empowered Christian. We know that we become Christians by repentance and faith in Jesus, and then by God's grace and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we seek to become the person or the persons the Beatitudes describe. In other words, the Beatitudes are only for those who know the new birth and the indwelling of the Spirit. In fact, if you read the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount properly, it should leave you utterly crushed and feeling hopeless because you'll discover that you're utterly incapable of living by the incredibly high standard that Jesus demands of his followers, which is why the very first Beatitude, which we're looking at this morning, begins with an acknowledgement of one's utter helplessness before a holy God. See, the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount demonstrate why the new birth is an essential teaching to our faith. For without the new birth, you are hopeless to live by the standards and teachings of Jesus. And so in one sense, you can say that the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it works in two ways. On the one hand, they show us our utter hopelessness and our need to turn to Jesus in order to be saved. 
But on the other hand, we are to live by the Beatitudes once when we have turned to Jesus. They are for the Christian to live by. The Beatitudes are what the Christian needs to become. <coughs> so, that's just a few introductory comments. And now we come to the first Beatitude in verse 3, where Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's two things we need to think about. And the first is this. What does it mean to be blessed? And secondly, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? So first, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, the word used here can be translated as happy. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's definitely truth to this, but I would say it's incomplete to purely see this as happiness. Now, I would argue that living by the ways of Jesus Christ is the happy life. The happy life is a life devoted to the honor of God. But I think Jesus here has more in mind than just mere subjective happiness. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. Here, Jesus is making an objective declaration about the poor in spirit, about the meek, about the merciful, about those who pursue righteousness. He's stating not what they simply feel in her happiness, but how God views them objectively, how God thinks of them. They are blessed by God. That is, they have God's stamp of approval, his divine favor, which, of course, ought to make us happy. But the idea here is more than just happiness. It's, it's God's favor is placed upon us. Now, to be blessed means that you have to receive blessing in order to be blessed, right? Now, what is the blessing of verse 3? What's the blessing of being poor in spirit? The kingdom of heaven. Yeah, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the poor in spirit are blessed, favored by God, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessing that they receive, in this case, the receiving of the kingdom, demonstrates that they're blessed of God. Now there's one other thing I want to say about being blessed. The blessedness stated in the Beatitudes is both present and future. For example, as Christians, we have received the kingdom already. We've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. That's a present reality right now, but we also know that we still await the consummation of the kingdom. And so to be blessed is both a present reality, but a future reality as well. The, the fullness of the blessing is still to come. So that's what it means to be blessed. So what does it also mean then to be poor in spirit, which is the focus of this morning's message. So here's my definition of what it means to be poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is to feel and acknowledge your spiritual bankruptcy before God, that you are completely unworthy before him and utterly dependent upon him for grace and mercy, that you are nothing and have nothing to offer God spiritually. It is to realize that you are a helpless beggar who has nothing to offer God except to cry out for, for mercy. The, the text that Josh read for us, uh, the Pharisee was not poor in spirit. The tax collector was. To be more poor in spirit is to come to grips with the reality that you cannot be saved apart from the sheer mercy and grace of God. As Martin Lloyd-Jones states uh, regarding the first beatitude, 
I would say that there is no more perfect statement of the doctrine of justification by faith than this beatitude. So the poor in spirit ought to cause us to realize we can only be justified by faith, not by our works. See, it's, it's not a coincidence that the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> the Beatitudes, begin here. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and believe that you can actually obey it, then you have completely missed the first step in obeying the Sermon on the Mount. That is, you're too spiritually bankrupt to even come close to living the spiritual life that Jesus requires of his followers. As Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, says, the Sermon on the Mount comes to us and says, there is the mountain that you have to scale, the heights you have to climb, and the first thing you must realize as you look at that mountain which you are told you must ascend, the first thing you must realize is that you cannot do it. That you are utterly incapable in and of yourself and that any attempt to do it in your own strength is proof positive that you have not understood it. See, the beginning step in all true spirituality is an acknowledgement of one's own spiritual poverty. That you have no spirituality to offer God. The Bible offers uh, many examples of individuals who were poor in spirit. And I just want to give you, you two quick examples. You have, of course, the example of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, he's, he's given the privilege of beholding the glory of the Lord. And what is it that he says when this happens? What, what happens to him when he sees the glory of the Lord? Well, he says this in Isaiah 6 verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is a holy prophet of God. And yet he is the one crying out, Woe is me, cursed is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. See, Isaiah is acknowledging his utter spiritual bankruptcy and unworthiness before a holy God. Or you have the, uh, the Apostle Peter in Luke chapter 5. The disciples, they, um, they go out fishing through the night and they, they catch nothing. And the next day, Jesus says, go back out. And, and Peter, of course, says, well, Jesus, we, we were out all night and we caught nothing. And, and he says, but because you said so, we will, we will do it. And so they go out and, of course, their, their nets become so full that they begin to break. And as Peter observes this, he's overwhelmed with a sense of who Jesus is. And he says, and with all his own sin, and he says this, and, and we read this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. I am not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. See, to be poor in spirit um, is so contrary to the way our world thinks. The world tells you that you're more than enough. The world values self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self-fulfillment, self-accomplishment. There is no message more in opposition to poverty of spirit than the message of believe in yourself. Hell is full of people who believed in themselves. There isn't a single person that has entered into the kingdom of God except in a posture of humility 
and self-abasement. It's only a blind fool who thinks he is worthy to enter the king's hall and eat at his table despite being a helpless beggar. It is the wise beggar who knows his unworthiness, and if granted entrance into the king's hall, his only response will be, I am grateful for I know that I am worthy to enter your hall, let alone to sit at the table of a king. See, this is the first step in living a life pleasing to God. This is the first step in living the spiritual life that God delights in. It is to know and feel your complete inadequacy and insufficiency before a holy and good God. And so a simple question for you this morning is this. Does poverty of spirit describe your spiritual life? Not just when you first believed, but right now. See, I would argue that the longer you become a Christian, the more poor in spirit you ought to become. Do you regularly sense your utter dependence upon God? Do you regularly sense your need for grace and mercy? When was the last time you were overcome with a sense of your spiritual inadequacy and insufficiency? Do you really and truly believe that apart from Christ, you can do nothing? You see, the Christian doesn't begin his walk on his knees. He walks continually on his knees. It is the poor in spirit that are blessed. It is the poor in spirit that receive the kingdom of heaven. It is the the poor in spirit that God is with. In Isaiah 57, 15, we, we get this description of God and then God speaks. And this is what we're told about God. And then this is what he says about himself. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. And now God speaks. I dwell in the high and holy place. God dwells in the high and holy place. But there's another place where he dwells as well. As well. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. I dwell in the high high and holy place where no one is worthy to be. But I also choose to dwell with the one who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 